The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode nine of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I'm handing over the interview duties to Thomas Went, and he is interviewing the great Willie Jones III. Willie was born in Los Angeles, and he wanted to be a jazz drummer since he was a little kid, and he eventually moved to New York City around 1997, where he worked. He started working with everybody, including the great, late great Roy Hargrove. So I'm gonna let Tom do some introduction here and then hand it over. So enjoy this conversation with the jazz great Willie Jones III. Hey there, Thomas went back guest hosting another edition of the Drum Candy Podcast. As always, such a pleasure to be here. And today I'm really looking forward to sitting down and talking for a while with one of my favorite drummers playing today, the fantastic Mr. Willie Jones the third. Willie has a long and distinguished career and he's just as active as ever and I believe he has a new recording out not too long ago. We're going to be talking about all that and more. So let's get started. All right, welcome to uh, another edition of the Drum Candy Podcast. Such a pleasure to be guest hosting today and today uh, we're really honored to be uh, welcoming as a special guest, uh, one of the uh, one of the baddest drummers out here doing it. He's been that way for a long time. Really happy to welcome the wonderful Willie Jones III. Willie, thank you so much for uh, for being here, man. How you doing, Thomas? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure, man. Our pleasure. So, um, I thought we could get started with uh, your beginnings as far as the music and the drums go. You're you're originally from the West Coast, right? From L.A. Yeah, born and raised in LA. Yeah, yeah. So how did how did you come to the music? I, I know your dad was a musician, so could you fill us in on the on the rest? Yeah. Uh, so my dad was a jazz musician. He played piano. So I kind of grew up around uh, the jazz scene around LA. Um, so I, I was very fortunate that he. Uh, I mean, ever since I can remember, he took me to rehearsals with him. Uh, I've been to a few jam sessions with them. And then I just remember like musicians coming by the house. So I was, and plus I was exposed to his record collection, stuff like that. And uh, I just gravitated toward the drummers. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, there was always vocalists, uh, horn players, but I just naturally uh, gravitated toward the drums. And I was always beating on furniture and, eventually my parents were like okay we need to buy him some drumsticks get him some drumsticks and I had a practice set that Mm -hmm. was I mean this is like maybe even before I started school I had a practice set and I was beating on that and uh, from then from then on I just knew that that's what I wanted to do you know even in grade school I played in a little like the grade school orchestra and uh Middle school, I, I didn't play in the orchestra. I was really into basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> you know, but uh, high school, I was in a marching band, and then I, I, that's when I really got serious mm-hmm. about practicing and technique. And I, and I started, more importantly, high school is when I started collecting records. Yes, sir jazz records and so I really became uh, familiar with like okay Art Blakey, Max Roach Roy Haynes Mm -hmm. so Tony Williams Uh, so yeah that was 
and from then on, I knew I wanted to be a professional musician mm-hmm. uh, from high school, even though, I mean, I was serious about practicing, you know, being in the drum line and marching band, but I really got, it was like the next level of seriousness when I got, uh, when I was in college mm-hmm. and I started going to jam sessions and then and sort of sitting in with musicians around Los Angeles, mm-hmm. realizing how how good I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. So yeah, you know, so it was like, okay, I got a whole new level of homework to do. Uh, but from then on, it just carried on and I just kept going. And uh, I was fortunate to have mentors. Besides my father, people like Billy Higgins, uh, huge mentor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Dean, another drummer. Yeah. You know, still in LA, still playing great. Yeah. Uh, Roy McCurdy. Oh, man. Uh, Henry Franklin. Oh, yeah, the skipper. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not name dropping. These are like, no, no. These are people that I, I knew and, and still know. Some of them, Ndugu Chancellor. Mm um Tootie Heath yeah uh who was actually my my drum teacher and uh at Cal Arts oh wow so yes I I got real close with him there and and I skipped over someone my first drum teacher was Clarence Johnston really yeah in LA oh my gosh so like he he played on a lot of records in the Blue Note Records with uh, Freddie Roach absolutely absolutely and, uh, but he was my front, first drum teacher. Oh man, I was not aware. Okay, so we have we have plenty to talk about right yeah. there. <laughs> so could you could you talk a little bit about a few of those mentors, in particular, Master Johnston and, and Master Billy Higgins? Yeah, uh, in that order. Well, I'll start with Johnston, Clarence mm-hmm. Johnston, because he was like he used to do gigs with my father. They they would make gigs together. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was maybe 13 or 14 when I started studying with him. And I wasn't serious about practicing at all. Yeah. Like it, it was, I love to play. I love to play drums, but practicing was a whole nother uh, <laughs> monster. But Clarence introduced me to like, okay, the, really the rudiments and, and how to approach them, how to practice them. And then he, of course he introduced me to the, uh, Charles Wilcoxon book. Mm-hmm. So, and I wasn't serious about really working out on that book, but, you know, I still have that same book, you know, that he introduced me to, to this day. Mm. Uh, so those things that he, and he just motivated me. So they were like, fast forward, maybe three years later when I wasn't studying with him, I'm, I'm in high school. The things that he uh, talked to me about I started implementing those things in high school once I got serious about practicing. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I he used to host a jam session also in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I can't think of the name of the place, but every Sunday night he did a jam session. Wow. And so he would let a lot of the young drummers come, come by and sit in. So that was some of my first experience of even playing jazz in a, in a live setting with experienced musicians. Wow. Man. So, yeah, Clarence Johnson, I mean, he, he was the greatest. Yeah, he's he's certainly, he's one of those guys, uh, you know, that, that, that deserves so much more recognition. I, I was listening to that record Jawbreakers yesterday. 
uh, oh, that, he, yeah. that he's on. Man, I mean, you know, he was truly one of the great rhythm section players of all time, you know. Yeah, he, he was incredible. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Higgins, who I actually met through my father also, but I didn't really know who he was. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's... Like I just knew he, I knew him as the or I knew him as the guy who smiled all the time. You know? <laughs> I knew he was a drummer, of course. Um, him and uh, Lawrence Marable. Oh man. Um, but Billy, again, years later, once I realized who he was, who he really was, he opened a a, a performing arts place called the World Stage, mm-hmm. which is still, in a, you know, which still exists to this day in Lemur Park area of LA. I started going there when I was about 21 and they would have jam sessions every Thursday night. And that was like, I mean, it's one of the greatest places, Mm. probably the greatest place for jazz in LA. Mm. I mean, Mm. it's a place where you could, musicians can express themselves, poets, dancers, vocalists. Wow. All kind of workshops, stuff like that. And so, you know, I started going there and I met some other young musicians. Could you could you describe what that place was like physically? Like what kind of building? I've never been there, unfortunately. Could you describe right. kind of what it was like? Yeah, uh, I'll tell you exactly. So it, it wasn't a club. It wasn't a jazz club. It was more like a little storefront. Um, it, it almost looked like if you didn't know what it was, you would think maybe it's a like a nickel and dime store. Oh, wow. Or a thrift store, like a just a little storefront. And then you walk in and there's all these chairs and there's a little stage with a piano. Wow. Like it didn't look like a, you know, like a club at all. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, it was the greatest, it was, it was a great time for me, wow. you know. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, Billy was always on the road. As soon as he, he would come back home, he, Go by the world stage and and talk and hang out with all the young musicians and oh, let us know whatever whatever you know whatever he's working on yeah. at that moment. But I, I met some other young guys, uh, namely Mark Shelby, bass player, mm-hmm. and Richard Grant, mm-hmm. and we formed a group called Black Note. Yeah, yep. that was you know that really uh, Billy sort of mentored us and got us wow. together. And produced our first record. Mm-hmm. Put it's out a great a record. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the world stage is still there. Like, it moved after the pandemic. It, it moved across the street. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. But it, it's still it's still on the, on the same block. Man, it's yeah. That's you know? beautiful, man. Wow. That's incredible. I, I I hope to to make it there one day. I'm not on the West Coast too often, but it's one of the – it's on the it's on the list next time I'm there. Um could you could you talk a little bit more? And I'm I'm being a little self indulgent because I I saw Billy Higgins play twice, um, and they were two of the greatest experience musical experiences of my life. So I'm always um, really interested to learn about more about him from people who knew him and and were close to him like yourself. So could you could you talk a little bit more about some of the things that you got from him and some of the things you guys talked about when it came to playing and even other things. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I got a lot of stuff from him, a lot of advice, a lot of musical advice. Um, he was the first one that told me I should move to New York. You know, because I mean, 
up to that point, uh, for me, making it was just if I could make it playing real jazz gigs in L.A. and pay my bills, I've made it. Like that right. was that's what I was looking. That was as far as I was looking. Yeah. Can I make a living in in Los Angeles as yeah. a jazz drummer playing straight ahead? Uh, but he was like, no, this is not it. You got to go to New York and it's a whole nother world. From there, you'll go to Japan, to Europe. You'll you'll get to record. You'll, all this stuff that just seemed like a whole nother universe to me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, he schooled me on that. I mean, he... Oh, he introduced me to to tons of musicians. Yeah, musicians that I, you know, I mean, when guys would come through L.A., whether it was Cedar Walton, Barry Harris, Jackie McLean, Max Roach, I met them all. The first time I met them all through Billy Higgins, because mm. Billy was working with them. Sure, you know, mm. uh, I mean, you name it. I mean, <laughs> uh, he even had Herbie Hancock come through. And Billy was, I mean, Herbie was, well, I think he still lives in LA, but you know, he wasn't, he wasn't really coming through the world stage like that, but Billy had him come through and do a workshop. Wow. Like, yeah, it was like, it was was incredible. So, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, just give me advice. Like once I, once I decided to move to New York, once I made the decision, I mean, he kind of opened the gates for me. Like Mm. he, he told musicians in New York to look out for me, certain musicians. So, I mean. Nice. Yeah, just. Yeah, it's <laughs> hard to pick one specific thing. No, that's okay. That's okay. It's 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 uh, all I mean, good. You know, it, it might come to me random. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. It's all, I mean, those, those kind of remembrances are are important, you know. Um, so, so let's, let's pick it up from there. So when, when did you move to New York and who were some of the first people that you started working with when you got there? Oh, well, I moved there in 97. 97. Yeah. But let me, let me say this. This is one more. (laughs) (laughs) This came to my head. Go Um, ahead. Like people ask me, well, did you study with Billy? I never studied with Billy Higgins officially. I didn't take lessons with him. But in a way, I did because I used to watch him practice. Oh wow! So I, you know, I used to. He he would go to the world stage late at night and just play the drums. Wow! We talking like eleven thirty midnight. Wow! With the lights off, turned up. So if I pulled up, because sometimes there was no jam session, nothing happening. You just drive by to see if some of the cats were hanging out, and he would. Uh, I could hear the drums. So I would go in and the lights are off. It's completely dark, but he's practicing. And his way of practicing, he was just playing. Yeah. Like he was on a gig. Wow. You know, he wouldn't, yeah, like we're talking 30 minutes, like he's playing and then maybe he would start just playing time and then he would start soloing. Mm. Or maybe he's trading eights. Then he puts the sticks down and then he switched to brushes. Like that, like that was the, one of the most valuable lessons I could ever get mm. from, you know, from someone like him. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's amazing to hear those when, when you hear those masters to be in the room and to feel their, that vibration, you yeah. know, the, there's no record that can do that. You know, as much as I love the records, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, seeing it in person is, is priceless. Yeah. 
So, yeah. but uh, back to your, your other question. Um, so I decided to move to New York around, like I made my mind up around 95. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't make the move until 97. Okay. June of 97, I moved. I was playing with Arturo Sandoval at the time. But I had started playing with Roy Hargrove, which was the gig I was kind of eyeing anyway. Like, like, that's where I wanted to end up. Okay. Playing with him. You know, but his his manager would call me for little gigs here and there. So I was just biding my time still playing with Arturo Sandoval, but I moved to New York in June of 97. And whatever I was doing in LA, and I was doing pretty well for a young drummer. You know, I mean, I was playing straight ahead gigs in LA, which is like an accomplishment (laughs) within itself. Sure, sure. Like I didn't have to do a wedding gig or, or, you know, fusion gig here. I was just doing straight, straight ahead. So I, I was like, I was happy. I was straight. Yeah. But um, I moved to New York, and my first gig in New York actually was I played a week with Arturo Sandoval at the Blue Note. So I, w- I was like, just buy me a one-way ticket. <laughs> you know, I'm good. Yeah. And, uh, and then shortly after, um, I started playing with Horace Silver. Uh, he called me and I did, I did some gigs with him and he, and I actually did a record with him toward the end of 97, early 98. Yep. So, I I mean, I was pretty busy from the jump Yeah. when I moved to New York because I was still playing with Arturo Mm. and I started working with Roy some. And I was working with Horace Silver also. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then by early 98, around March or February, I started working with Roy Hargrove full time. Okay. I, I quit. I left Arturo's band. And uh, Horace uh, physically wasn't working as much because he wasn't feeling that well by that time. So I was just playing with Roy from 98 on. And... Uh, yeah, it was just everything yeah. just fell in place. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. Um, among among the older musicians that you've worked with, could you talk about some of the things that 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 you've gained from those gigs? People like you know Cedar Walton or Arturo, any or Horace Silver, any of the you know the older masters that you've worked with. You worked with a lot of them. Could you talk about some of the the biggest things that you've you've gotten from those gigs that's sort of helped your own playing and your your own development? Uh, I think one of the biggest takeaways um, that I've that I've gotten from, and specifically, I'll say Horace Silver, Cedar Walton, and and Hank Jones, mm-hmm. who I played with later on. Um, but the, from those three, uh, you know, don't take yourself too serious. <laughs> take yourself too serious. Like, I mean, Cedar Walton, I, I knew his music, you know, front and back because I had been, he's one of my favorite musicians of all time. And I, and whenever, you know, 
whenever he was playing in town with Billy, I was there. Sure. So same thing with Hank Jones, you know, and Horace Silver too. I mean, they, they hired me because they trust me. They trust how I would interpret their music. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, there was no micromanaging going on. And sometimes you can, as a drummer, but for any music, for any music uh, instrument, you can work with someone and they they just, they want their music a certain way as they should. Like, you know, but sure. But for me, to the point to where you're micromanaging how a, a person plays, you know, it kind of takes away, you know, bringing the best out of that music, that musician. Absolutely. Music. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know what I'm saying? So absolutely. From, from Cedar, like Cedar never, never told me, I want you to play this song like this. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, we sit down, you know, we rehearse, we play, you know, if he hired me, I, he automatically knows how I play. Sure. Trust how I play. Right. So, uh, same thing with Hank Jones. They, they, you know, uh, matter of fact, if anything, I've done gigs with with the younger musicians who uh, I would say, like, oh, well, they want it just like this. Yeah. Micromanaging. And I'm like, you know, okay, well. I'll do the best I can. Right, right. Well, yeah. What else can you say? <laughs> I hope you yeah. like it. <laughs> you know, but I mean, the older guys, the masters, they're not, they're not checking for me like that. So, yeah, that, that's the most important thing. I mean, and even like when, whenever I do a gig with my band, whoever I hire, young or older musicians, I, if I hire them. That means I automatically like the way they play. You know, right. here's yeah. a skeleton of, of of the tune, or here's a here's a frame. Right. I need you to fill it up. Yeah. Right. Do your thing to fill it up. Yeah. Exactly. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store, celebrating its 40th year in business. Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Yeah. Um, so this is this this is another sort of self-indulgent question, but I'm really curious. So could you sort of compare and contrast from from the drum chair the difference between playing in a trio with Cedar Walton and a trio with Hank Jones? Uh well one one huge one huge difference is that Cedar, we were playing his music, meaning his original. Like he has a whole song. You can make a fake book. Oh yeah. Of, of Cedar Walt Cedar Walton tunes. Oh yeah. Uh, Hank had a, a couple of originals, but mostly he played standards. Right. Or he had you know uh, standards that he had like special arrangements for. Um, but that that was the, the biggest difference. I mean. Okay. 
Yeah, Cedar. I mean, that that was the greatest thing playing with him. Like all his, <laughs> I, thought I knew. I thought I knew most of his tunes, and I was like, oh man, I don't because yeah. he had much more than I thought. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so that that was the, that was the difference between like Hank and Cedar. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so let's let's kind of switch switch gears for just a second. As you were developing, I'm talking about when you first started to really get serious in high school through, you know, your early mid 20s. What are what are some of the things that you were practicing and focusing on uh, as far as working on in the practice room? Uh, well, like I said, in the beginning, uh, it, it would be just the discipline of, of practicing rudiments, paradigms. Uh, Double paradiddles, flam accents, or whatever. Just sure. having a discipline to like practice them slowly and and get them clean, get my technique clean. Mm-hmm. Then the next the next level is okay. Well, how do I make music out of it? You know, and and that became apparent, like especially when I was in my twenties. Okay. Because by by that time, I'm I'm doing I'm making gigs. You know, people are. Or calling me, and you know, I I could swing, but to taking a drum solo was like okay. The challenge is making music out of your solo without it sounding repetitive, or or just or just sounding like you know a bunch of rudiments sewn together. Right, right. You know, uh, I mean, I'm still struggling with that. To this <laughs> me too. You know, um, but. At that time, that was it was a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I mean, I could play. Okay, I got single drag. Okay, Swiss triplets. Okay, cool. Well, but how do I, how do I make music out of it? You know, um, one thing I I started doing was okay. Well, you know, let me just if I could hear the song, if I could hear the tune, you know, if if I could hear the form, the song form. That would be the beginning of me making music out of out of my technique. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it would be the start of it. Sure. You know, so I mean, like when I'm soloing now, like if you hear me soloing, you know, usually I'm playing the form, I'm playing the tune, even if I'm not not that I'm playing the exact melody. Sure. But I'm, I'm playing the form, and maybe you know my uh, the goal is to like I, I want you to know I'm at the we're at the bridge. Now I'm I'm not playing the melody, but you should know. Okay, now we're at the last A. Whatever you, right. you know. What I mean? Sure. So uh, being able to like sing, if you can sing the melody, okay, you can hear it, and you could you could try to solo while hearing the melody. You know that's. That's that's the goal for me. Sure. Like if if I'm like you can tell if I'm playing it even to this day if I'm playing a tune and I don't know it, you know. But they're like, okay, it's thirty two bar tune, and and you're gonna take a solo. Right. <laughs> you can hear like okay, I, I mean I can fake it like I, okay I'm a, I I can play thirty two bars. Sure. But you can you should be able to hear the difference like okay. Um. Although, like to me, that's even the next level. <laughs> yeah. To be able to, okay, you can play a tune that you don't know, 
and solo over a 32 bar tune that you've never played before, but you can still make it sound like, oh, you've played that form a million times. Right, right. But for me, I'll just be playing, if I don't know the tune, I'll be playing more figures, drum gotcha. figures, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like things that I know, okay, that's eight bars. Yeah. Okay, 12. Like that, this is a combination I know is 10 bars. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, as opposed to, if I know the tune, uh, you know, like playing with Roy Hargrove for so many years, I knew his tunes by ear. I knew sure. the, so I never soloed thinking about what the form was. I because I, I knew the tune. Yeah. You know, so I mean, those are the the levels for gotcha. me. Like in the beginning, it was just okay, man. Can I just transform technique, the, the rudiments, the vocabulary, to sounding musical? Sure. Are, were, were, could you talk about some specific records that figured prominently into into your your development stuff that you listened to and really got a lot from? Yeah, that's easy. Because uh, <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, like, because it started off with my my parents, my father's record collection. So it was specific records that he had, like um, Clifford Brown Memorial record. With Art Blakey on on one side and and Philly Joe was on the other side, um, and so I mean, oh, I'm trying to think of some of the songs. Whale bait. Whale bait. Uh, that's Art Blake. That's the side with Art Blake. Yeah, that's that's uh, the first side. Him, him of the Orient. Him of the Orient. That's that's on, that's, the first that's, side. that's the first side. Yeah. That's Blakey. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 blanking on some other titles too. They uh, they played Cherokee. Oh yeah, right, right. But he doesn't play the melody. He's just blowing. Right. Her. That's yeah. my first time hearing Cherokee. Oh, interesting. Not Max, not Max and Clifford. Yeah. It was the Clifford Memorial record with, with Blakey. Oh, interesting. And it might be John Lewis playing piano on that side. I think that I think that might be right. I haven't played that record in a while. Yeah. I'm all hope is playing piano on the second side. Absolutely. But. Like just yeah, like like well bait and and he takes a solo Blakey takes a solo on him of the Orient. Yeah. But it's really he's not soloing. Right. It, it's a groove. It's just a groove, yeah. It's it's one of the first solos I ever really paid att paid attention to. Wow. Interesting. Uh and then all the Miles Davis records from relaxing Sure working. Yeah. Um, my father had all those records. So, of course, um, I mean, I just played those. I scratched those records off. <laughs> wearing them out, you know. Uh, and also kind of blue, of course. Sure. Uh, trying to think. Oh, also, and it's funny because I didn't know who it was. McCoy Tyner's, um, the one with Roy Haynes. Oh, reaching forth, reaching forth. Yeah, hey, with Henry Grimes, that's a great right. record, man. For whatever reason, my father didn't have the cover; he just had the record. <laughs> but like you know, you go through the records, and there was the record. You know, it was the cover wasn't there. So, um, but I know he played theme for Ernie. Oh yeah, on there, you know, and then uh, the up tempo tune. I can't. Oh, reaching forth. I think. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so. 
I mean, have you met Miss Jones? Yeah. But those were the early records that, that I really paid attention to. Uh, and again, there's a few more that I'm forgetting. No, that's okay. That's all right. But uh, I mean, I could throw Maiden Voyage in there. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that one. Uh, just, just playing time. Yeah. Dolphin Dance. Yeah, it's know. amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, those those records I was listening to when I was like nine. Wow. Years old. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I was not. I wasn't serious about practicing at all. <laughs> You know, forget practice, but it was the enjoyment of hearing those records. And then I would pick up the sticks and try to play. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about uh, the Black Note group? I'm curious to to hear a little bit more about how you guys sort of came together and and about how, you know, that that first record came together with uh, Master Higgins. Yeah. So. All right. So. Black Note. Okay, so I'm talking about the world stage, but actually, there's another club that I should mention that was in the hood, that was in the neighborhood, like around the corner from the the world stage, actually, a few blocks. Uh, There was a club called Memory Lane. Marla's Memory Lane, the actress Marla Gibbs from the Jeffersons. She had a jazz club. And so they had a jam session every Sunday night. Okay. And Donald Dean, uh, the great drummer, Donald Dean was the house drummer. Oh, wow. And Rose Gales, Larry Gales' wife. Wow. She she was the, she ran the jam session. She was the piano player. Wow, really? Yes. She ran the session. Wow. So I started going there first, you know, and, uh, and so I, you know, to all these young drummers waiting to play, so you know, you wait in line to play and you're like, oh, I hope they call me up to play something fast. <laughs> or or you, you're thinking, you're thinking like, I hope they don't call me up to play with a vocalist. Yeah. Or, or on a ballot, right? Yeah. That's what you're thinking. <laughs> but so they called me up and, you know, and so I play, I took a solo. And I remember right before I left, this guy uh, runs up to me like, hey, you know, like the way you play, you know, my name is Mark Shelby, bass player. So he was the one, I met him, and he was the one that told me about the jam session at the World Stage. He's like, you got, you got to come by the World Stage on Thursdays. Oh, wow. So me, him, and trumpet player Richard Grant, we linked up the very next week. Uh, you know, we linked up at the World Stage, and we just started playing. We would play every like almost every night, it seemed. Wow. You know, from like like maybe from like nine to midnight, we would just play. The nights that they weren't having uh jam sessions. And so from there, uh Mark Shelby, he's from Sacramento, so he had a gig in Sacramento. So we drove from LA to Sac to Sacramento. Wow. To do one gig. <laughs> right? Yep my in my truck so that's that was the beginning like we weren't even called black note yet but that was the beginning like we were making little gigs here and there and then eventually uh james mahone alto player uh he came in he or i, 
I believe we met him. He came to the world stage also. Just, you know, because different guys were coming to the world stage mm-hmm. for the jam session. So James joined us soon after. And then and then maybe a year later, uh, I met a trumpet player at Cal Arts named Gilbert Castellanos. Great trumpet player. He replaced Richard, who I believe got us. He started going to school back east at Rutgers. So, okay. Um, uh, Gilbert became our permanent trumpet player. Uh, but before I say all that to say, before he joined us, we did our first record, um, 43rd and Degnan. Yep. And so, you know, again, Billy Higgins, he was always talking about number one, moving to New York. And, but he also talked about the power of owning your own music, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So he always, you know, so he said, well, you know, I'll start a record label. Wow. World stage records. You were like, man, okay. And so we recorded, uh, our first record, 43rd Indignant for him, for his label. And actually it was produced, it was produced by a guy named Dennis Sullivan. Okay. Um, but I mean, it was Higgins' label. Yeah. And he, he, he funded it, everything. Wow. And so that was the start of, of Black Note really taking off. And then eventually uh, we got a record deal with Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I said, going back to the different levels, because I, you know, I thought we, I thought we had made it. We got a deal. Like we were playing, we would, we would tour all over California. Sure. You know, and then we, and we even went to Europe once. Wow. Uh, opening for Winton. Oh wow! Like it's summer of '94. Um, but yeah, we did one record for Sony, and they, and they dropped us. <laughs> you know. And then we got signed by Impulse. Right. We did one record for them, and then they dropped us. (laughs) So it was about that time that I was like, you know what, it's it's time for me to bounce anyway. Yeah. (laughs) I Um, hear you. Go to New York. And uh, and everybody in Blackman, everybody kind of, Marcus went back home, or he he went to San Francisco, which is where he, he is right now. Okay. He runs the Hell Hellsburg Jazz Festival. Okay. Still plays bass great. And uh James Mahone went back to, to the Bay Area. So everybody went their own way. Interesting. So, yeah. Interesting. Thank you, man. Thanks for for, for for filling in all those gaps. Yeah. No, it's really interesting, man. I, I like those records very much. It was a great group. Um so again, to kind of switch gears, I wanted to talk to you uh, about some of the more recent stuff that you've been doing, especially all of the band leading that you've been doing, and you kind of have your own record label now yourself, right? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, my, my motto is one project at a time. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I mean, uh, if for no other reason, uh, out of necessity. Sure. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, really, it came down, came down to, okay, so Black Note gets dropped. You know, we couldn't get anybody else to sign us. I moved to New York, 
And, you know, you just see different young musicians around you uh, doing record dates and record dates as a leader. And I started I started doing record dates as a sideman almost right away. Sure. You know? um, but, you know, I saw so, some other young drummers doing records for labels. And so I tried to go the same the same route, basically. Okay. I couldn't get any takers, though. You know, so, yeah. um, and I had, there was one label, a small label um, that I did a lot of sessions for as a sideman. I couldn't get them to record me as a leader, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I said, well, that's cool. I'll, you know, um, I'll, I'll do it myself. Did the did the band leading come first and then trying to get dates as a, as a no? The recording came first. Recording came first. Gotcha. Yeah. Probably the band leading. Sh- maybe it should work the other way. I'm, I'm still not sure. No, I hear you. I don't know if there is a right way. <laughs> I, yeah, I go back and forth about that. But yeah. for me, the recording came first. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. I, I was, I, man. I was working so much as a side man that I figured, let me just go ahead and and do one project and see how how it does. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, again, I'm curious uh, about, uh, you know, band leading. It's something that I've started doing in the last, you know, seven or eight years of, of my life. And I'm always curious to talk to drummers who are band leaders and, and sort of talk about your your concept for doing it and, and, and some of your experiences uh, that you feel have sort of made you a better band leader over the years. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I'm still struggling with that. <laughs> Fair but enough. Not not musically though. I mean. Oh yeah. I'm I'm very confident in the music. Yes. <laughs> it's the presentation of it. Ah yeah. You, you know, like getting Absolutely. on. Okay. Do you do I speak on the mic? When do I speak on the mic? You know, did I say enough? Yep. Yep. <laughs> like I mean. So, yeah, it, that's just that, that's a struggle for me. Probably always will be. I, I will say this: the more the more I do it, you know, especially if, if you're, and this is also the struggle. I, you know, you never work enough as a leader. At least I like if I'm if I'm on the road for six weeks doing one nighters. Oh, I'll, I'm sure by the end of the tour, my presentation <laughs> will be pretty smooth. Right. But that's not the case. You know, for me, a tour is like one week. Dig it. Dig it. I hear you. <laughs> that's what it's come to. Can I get a week of gigs or a week and a half? Oh, my. Great. But um, but yeah, that's the struggle is like trying to. OK, man, how, how do I present this particular project that I'm doing now? You know, the music, I'm 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 always. The music, the music is going to come off. I'm, I'm always confident about that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I it, it's 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 an inter, it's such an interesting time to be living in in general. But I feel like trying to play, <clears throat> pardon me, trying to play this music today and present it to 2023 society is that that has such incredible challenges in so many ways. Even even beyond trying to sort of you know, figure out how as a band leader you want to present stuff. It's trying to reach people who are so distracted can be, it, it can be such a, 
such a challenge, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a definite challenge. I mean, but in some ways, because of technology, you could say you could say it's easier, maybe. You know, I mean, you know, people do podcast or or live stream stream. Yep. You know, so that I mean that way you can bring an audience to you. That's true. That is true. There's a lot more personal control in some ways. Right. Um, but, but whether you whether you go that route or not, I do feel, and I I mean, I haven't mastered this at all, but I do believe, like if I mean, there's an audience out there for everything. Hmm. Whatever style or whatever, whatever music that you, if you're passionate about it. There's, a, there's an audience for it. You just have to find it. Yeah, I, that, there's a lot of truth in that. You're right. That's that's a really great way to look at it. <laughs> well, now, I mean, now, if you obviously, if you're playing jazz music, okay, so that's a much smaller audience, you know, but still, you go find it, you know, or yeah. bring them to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, that's all, that's and, all real. Yeah, and let me say this also. Like, I've never, anytime I've done a gig and some people have shown up, like, they, I've always been, oh, this is, this is something that we're into. For me, the challenge is convincing the venue or promoter to, to take the chance. Absolutely. On, on, on bringing me in. Yeah. Bringing the band in. Yeah. You know. No, no, I, it's it it is, and it, it's funny. I've been as time goes on, the 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 people who present the music get younger and younger, and with that, many of them don't quite know the music and the culture of the music, and I I think that would you agree that 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 can be a big hurdle sometimes when you're trying oh, to do stuff. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I, I reached out to a club once that I had, I had already played it, <laughs> right? Go figure. So, um, and I, I think I did this decent numbers, you know, but I reached out to them like two years later and they're asking me about my numbers on social media. Yep, yep. My numbers weren't, weren't good enough. <laughs> You, you know, it's funny, man. It's, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a real issue today because, you know, I I I'm I'm 44 years old, and so my my generation, I grew up with rotary phones, no answering machine. Like I'm old enough to remember the the world like that, but I'm young enough that I kind of I, I understand the technology. I understand the importance of it and using it, but it's. I have to say, I really struggle with it, you know, and how to use it and how to deal with it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the game. This is, yeah. this is where it is. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I can always do better, but there's no, like, you have no choice. If you sure. want this, you have to, you have to compete in this arena. Yeah, that's... Okay. Numbers, social media. Okay, cool. You know. Yeah. yeah. If you don't, then they're not going to hire you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's where it is. 
I hear you, man. Um, let's let's talk about some of the some of the recent projects that uh, that you've done, both both recording and live. What have you been up to recently? Yeah, so I just I just released uh, a couple of months ago. Um, the latest thing I've done on my label is a uh, saxophonist Ken Fowler. Yeah, great young tenor player in New York. Um, uh, he's he just put out a record on my label called Resolution. Great records. Uh, I'm playing on it. <laughs> uh, Gerald Cannon, Peter Bernstein. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Pell. You nice. Know. That's a great band. That's a good record. That's, that's the latest thing. Ken Fowles of Resolution. Um, I have a record that's currently out, uh, Fallen Heroes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I released it last year. Okay. Um, but that's the latest thing I have out. Again, featuring... <laughs> Jeremy Pelton, uh, Gerald Cannon is on that one. Uh, Renee Newville, great vocalist. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, similar cast of characters. I mean, these are guys, people that I, I work with all the time. Sure, you know? sure. Um, and then I'm also working on releasing a new, I have a new project that I'm uh, either going to release in October or, or next year. Cool, great. So I'll make a decision on that real soon. Beautiful, man. Fantastic. So, so just kind of one final question. Um, what, uh, what are some of the things that you're practicing these days? Do you, do you still practice? And if so, like, what do you, what do you like to work on and what's, what's, what's new in that, in that realm? I, oh, okay. I still practice, <laughs> practice every day. Yeah. Um, I'm not working on anything in particular, you know, uh, what are some of the things I that you do of, regularly? Yeah, well, I, I was going to say I kind of kind of stole Billy's uh, his format. Like, even when I do have something specific to work on, I try to spend thirty minutes just making music by myself. Like just like playing, like I'm on a gig, just playing, you know. Um, but aside from that. Um, how, you know, and also I try to work on my rudiments every day to keep my hands together, you know, what I call mindless practice. (laughs) Like I might be watching the game or something, Dig it. but I got a practice pad in front of me and I'm working on, you know, just doing rudiments and stuff. Um, but also, you know, I still try to spend like an hour maybe working on combinations. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I, I I tried to, I'm working on something. I tried to play on the gig the night before. Yeah. That didn't come off. You know, nobody heard it, but but me, I heard it. Right. So, okay, let me try to work that out. Yeah. yeah. Things like that. That's Things like that I work on every day. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's all, that's all mandatory stuff, man. Cause it'll, if you don't work on it, it will work on you. <laughs> exactly. If I don't yeah. practice for like four days yep, and then I play a gig, I can feel it. Yeah, absolutely. It's true, man. It's true. So, um, what kind of gigs do you have coming up? You got any gigs you want to plug before we uh, sign off? Uh, do I have any gigs coming up? I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Yeah, I do. You know, <laughs> Okay, you just said. See, I'm ten years older than you. <laughs> okay. So, so, I still keep a um, a calendar book. I do too. 
I do too. <laughs> it, it just works better for me to, to have it written down and I can see it. No, absolutely. But I just finished the gig. I played Birdland uh, two weeks ago. Oh, with Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson. Yeah. Great, uh, great band. His band, he calls it the Analog Band. <laughs> uh, but I got a gig coming up at Dizzy's. Nice. Um, June 21st, I believe. All right. It's, it's Danton Bowler. Oh Played yeah, from LA too, uh, and uh, he's doing like a CD release gig. Oh, nice! So it'll be me, him, uh, Justin Robinson will be on a gig. Nice, Steve Nelson on Vibes. Oh man, from Pittsburgh. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. and yeah. actually, uh, the music of um, uh, the Senator uh, Eugene Wright. Oh, beautiful! Yeah. Wow. Man, that'll be great, man. Yeah, dance and study with him. So yeah, so that that's the next big gig I got coming up. Beautiful, man. And and you have a website too. Could you give the address? Yeah, WillieJones three dot com. Beautiful, man. You find what I'm doing. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Straight Swinging sixty eight. Beautiful. Know, all the music's on uh, all the the digital platforms, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. <laughs> man, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really thank appreciate you, it. That is it for this week's episode. Again, if you haven't already, head over to iTunes or Spotify or YouTube, wherever you get this podcast, give us a five-star rating. Make sure you type in a review that helps rank the show higher when anyone searches for drums or drum podcasts or whatever. We uh, greatly appreciate you listening and supporting. Also, you can always reach me at drumcandypodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for topics, for interviews, or if you want to send in some questions or some intro beats. We'll get back to that. But until next week, have a good one. Go play some drums, and I'll see you then. Mm -hmm.